Our intention is going to be on uh, the first Sunday of the month, we're going to start doing communion. And, and we've kind of been off. We've, we were doing it on the second Sunday, but it seemed like we kept missing it. My bad. But I want you to know that if you're here on the first Sunday, uh, that's going to be the day. And, and that's typical within the Assemblies of God, which we are a part. And uh, hopefully that'll help you if you really want to be a part of communion. You'll be here on that first Sunday. Welcome! Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, I'm really glad you're here. Such a good-looking bunch. Once again, we want to just welcome our friends from uh, the Bear Refuge. You guys are Bear River, I call it the refuge. Bear River, thank you for being here today. It's, it's a joy to have you ladies. I love this church. I love what God's doing here. And we all know that he isn't done with us yet. Right? He's still got plans for his people. But there is a day coming when he's going to say, actually, the father's going to say, son, go bring our church home. Hallelujah. And most who have studied scripture agree and believe that it is going to be sometime in the near future. Not setting any dates, but just here to say, He's coming back. And I hope that encourages you. On the other side of it, if you're not ready for him to come back, it could be a little alarming. And I, I've been studying, and, and uh, just to say I'm going to finish today on the Trinity, but I just wanted to tell you that next week I'm going to start a new series that has more to do with the fight that we're in. The temptations, where do they come from? Why is there a devil? Why did man sin? And what does all that mean? Is there a way to fight back? And I'm going to give you scriptural means to help you fight back. Because as Julie said before we even got into this today, the word from the Lord was that God has given us authority Whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But it takes faith. You have to trust God that his, his word is truth. And I'm going to get into that beginning next week. But today we're going to look at part four of... Oh, can I have that uh, so it's back there, please? Thank you very much. The adorable Godhead... The Importance of the Trinity, Part 4, and today I'm going to talk about this, the early church fathers. How many know that there was an original remnant of the church that started the whole process of Christianity? And did you know that many of them were Jewish people who had converted to Christ? Which meant what? that they brought their Jewish customs and their ideas and their biases with them. 
And they had to struggle with these. How many came out of another religion? And, and I'm not trying to point fingers at anybody. But, you know, I, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and, and I still I have a lot of family members who love the Lord and they worship in a Catholic Church. Wow. They're, the bells are ringing. Talking about the Catholic Church. But we did things in the Catholic Church that we don't do here, and we do things in this church that we don't do, or they don't do, in the Catholic Church. It was, it was different in a good way. I never raised my hands before. But when I came into that Assemblies of God church on West St. Joe Highway, happened to be a Mount Hope Assemblies of God church, I learned about Pentecost. I learned about what it meant to really get into this book, the Bible, and to study it and to let it become a part of who I was. Everything changed. Now, I still went back to some of the things I learned in the Catholic Church. It didn't all go away, but I had to, can I say, relearn some things? Is that okay? And I think it was for the better. That's my personal opinion. What I'm trying to say is the early church fathers, they had stuff when they converted to Christianity. And they had to deal with that. And one of the biggest issues that they had to deal with was the Trinity. And I've said this over and over, that they taught that there was one God that they were supposed to worship out of the Old Testament, out of Deuteronomy. And now they were saying there's a Father, there's a Son, there's a Holy Spirit. And it kind of blew their minds. They had to wrestle with this idea. Some rejected the Trinity in favor of the Old Testament God. And I just want to say that in the church, how many know that we're made up of human beings? And because of that, we're going to have arguments about what's right, what's wrong. And, you know, one of them, again, just to, just to put this out there, is even some of the things we're voting on on Tuesday. As a church, who do we stand for? And, and we have to make a choice. Is it going to be the, the, what the mother does with her body or is it going to be the little baby that's inside of that mother? Which one? You can't have it both ways. And these are things that the church wrestles with. Notice, I am not telling you what to vote for, but I truly believe that this Proposal 3 should be voted down. There are, there are so many things in this bill or in this proposal that we're going to be stuck with as law. If it goes through, it's not just about abortion. It's about so many other things. Please, if you haven't, read it. And then you decide. But I want to tell you, I, I know how I'm voting. You probably saw the signs out front. 
And by the way, we can do that legally, just so you know. Now, I can't tell you which person to vote for. But when it comes down to a moral issue like this, we can talk about that. So I don't want the hate mail. The early church struggled with a lot of things, but the Trinity was one of the bigger ones. And I just wanted to talk, this is my final part four series of this series that I've been doing on the Trinity, and I just want you to really understand that the early church believed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not as a plurality of gods, but as one God. And I'm going to try to show that one more time here today. One of the guys that I keep quoting is, is Hein, and he said this, he said, the Old Testament doctrine of the one God who chose the fathers Abram, Isaac, and Jacob and revealed himself to their descendants is foundational. Say that, foundational. It's foundational to the earliest Christian faith. Meaning that these guys had this idea in their head that there was one God. However, it seems that the early church fathers, they worked around the idea of the Trinity, but as I've already said, not without its difficulties. In his article, Holy Trinity, Incomprehensible Mystery, D.D. Emmons points out how others have voiced difficulty in understanding the mystery of the Trinity. St. Augustine, in his book On the Trinity, wrote, Some persons, however, find difficulty in this faith. When they hear that the Father is God and the Son God and the Holy Spirit God, and yet this Trinity is not three gods but one God, they ask how they are to understand this. So do you see the dilemma? Do you see that, that if you will, the tension that's represented in all of this. And by the way, and, and I just said this to Pastor Roger the other day, we were talking about sometimes in the church you have a tension. Sometimes in order to get things done in the spirit, we need that tension. It kind of challenges us to do something different. Do you know what I'm saying? You might even call it conflict. How many like conflict? Anybody raise your hand? Because if you did, I would bring you on as a helper. I hate conflict. But let me tell you something. Nothing gets done without it. If we're always getting along, as cool as that sounds, we wouldn't be accomplishing anything. We're human beings. We're all made in God's likeness. However, we're all individual. We're unique. We think differently. We were raised differently. And because of that, we bring all of this stuff with us. We, we've got junk in our trunk. <laughs> and we have to learn to get along with each other. And, and that's, that's the miracle that the, the world sees when they see the church or when they should see the church getting along, even amidst the conflict within, within our body or even amongst different denominations, that's a miracle. 
It's miraculous. We don't say, well, listen, because I don't agree with that brother over there. I, pfft, he's out of my life. But yet, that's what we see today, isn't it? Well, if you don't agree with me, then you take the high road, brother. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. We, we've lost the ability to have a conversation and to discuss some things that need to be discussed. Even when it comes to our theology, our doctrines. We need to start listening more than flapping these two lips. Listen. Listen with your heart. I think we'd have a lot more people coming into the church if they saw us willing to listen to each other and have these conversations like they did back in the early church. They had to wrestle with this stuff. And I'm happy to say they were victorious, obviously. The church was a success. They had conflict, yes. They had tension, yes. But they overcame it by the blood of the Lamb. And the love of God permeated everything they did. When somebody came to them and started talking nonsense, what did they do? They gently, they gently rebuked the person and tried to bring them back. It wasn't a, get out! There are churches that do that. You don't agree? Get out! This tension helped form the theology of our early church, of the fathers of the early church, when it came to the Trinity. Perhaps the way that Irenaeus described the necessary elements of the Godhead would help shed some light on this topic. He taught this. The Spirit prepares a person for the Son. The Son leads the person to the Father. And the Father grants eternal life. Can we say that together? The Spirit prepares a person for the Son. The Son leads the person to the Father. And the Father grants eternal life. It's really pretty simple. Yeah, take a picture of that if you got your phone. Then you won't forget it. I love it when you take notes. I got a book full of notes. I would forget this the minute I walked out if I didn't have it written down. Just saying. I'm admitting my frailties. But this simple statement makes it so much easier to understand the essence of the three-in-one. Amen? The early church, they had many conversations when it came to the Trinity. Many, what they called councils, all right? Where these scholars and leaders would get together and prayerfully hammer out the ideas, the doctrinal foundations of the early church. Because they didn't, they didn't have this to start with. They had the Old Testament in, in most of its entirety. They had the, the words of the prophets. But they didn't have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They didn't have the epistles, the writings of, of the different apostles. So they had to wrestle with this stuff and figure out, who are we going to be? It was probably pretty fun, but also pretty scary because you knew those 
who want to teach, they have to realize that there is so much responsibility that goes with that. Because if you mislead people, someday you're going to give an account. And you're going to have to explain to God why you misled people. And that's what they were, they were wrestling with, if you will, in these early days. For those who might not know this, theology is the study of God. Systematic theology supplies the theories that align with and help support our beliefs. The two are very important. And I don't know if anybody here is a scholar. Anybody? And, and I don't even consider myself to be one, even though I went through the process of getting my master's big deal. I told you this a few weeks ago. You know what I learned? How much I don't know. That's what it does. When you get higher education, when you get gurgitated, all that means is you're going to figure out the things that you don't know more than the things that you do. These men and women, and I say women loosely because in the early days, the women, they did speak, but it was behind closed doors. It wasn't openly at these councils. So most of the arguing or working out the details, they were men. Hopefully the theories are confirmed by the scriptures. Whatever theory we come up with, hopefully. And, and how many have ever gone to the ag.org? Anybody? A couple of you, a few of you? If you ever wonder, what is it that we believe? Just go there, ag.org, and put in 16 fundamental truths, and it will pull them up for you. And you'll be able to see, with scriptural references, what we believe as a church. So ag.org, that's pretty easy to remember. ag.org. There were many councils that were called by the early church fathers to try to hammer out some of these very controversial ideas, especially on the Trinity. An example of this dispute, and I just wanted to show you one, comes from Gregory of Nice. Now, there are a lot of Gregories, just so you know that. They aren't the same guy. Gregory of Nyssa, if I can, I lost it, brother, I'm not, can you go to the next slide for me? Thank you. The Father is God, the Son is God, and yet by the same proclamation God is one, because no difference either of nature or of operation is contemplated in the Godhead. For if, and notice the parentheses, According to the idea of those who have been led astray, so you can see here he's arguing for the Trinity because there are some in the early church who have been led astray on this issue. The nature of the Holy Trinity were diverse. The number would, by consequence, be extended as a plurality of gods being divided according to the diversity of essence in the subject. So in other words... Because they were saying there are three gods, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, many, or some I should say, in the church kind of took that and ran with it. Oh, there's three gods. And what Gregory of Nyssa was saying is, no, there are not three gods. There are three 
essences of God found in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the three are one. I'm sure this makes a lot of sense to everybody here. Another, Gregory of Nazianzus, see I told you there was more than one, described the Trinity as follows. The Son, he says, is not Father, yet he is whatever the Father is. The Spirit is not Son, yet whatever the Son is, he is. The three are a single whole in their Godhead, and the single whole is three in personalities. Does that make any more sense to you? No. <laughs> Maybe it's because I was in school. This made sense to me. I was like, oh, yeah, I get this. Again, we have to recognize that the Trinity is so beyond us. And the early church fathers knew that. But they tried to come up with a system that really spoke to who God was and is and continues to be. The church fought for a vital doctrine on the Trinity well into the 4th century. The Council of Constantinople in 381 AD came up with the following creed, and I, I handed this out to you. How many got it? Does anybody need this? I want you to raise your hand if you didn't get it. I think we ran out when everybody was coming in, and they tried to get some more. Take these home with you. You know, this is one of those, and, and I know it's, it's wordy. Or if you can just remember the Nicene Creed, if you Google that, this will come up. But what I wanted to do this morning, because this is foundational for us, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. This is what this council came up with. This is how they described God, His essence in the three in one. Is everybody good? All right. Get this thing out. If you don't, if you don't have your readers on, you might want to put them on. Would you read this with me together? And by the way, let me just say this real quick. There are some denominations that have simplified this a little bit. It's not in its entirety. Uh, I wanted the whole thing. I wanted you to have the whole thing. We believe, say this with me, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things came into existence, who because of us men and because of our salvation came down from the heavens and was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became man, and was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate and suffered and was buried and rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, and ascended to heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father, and will come again with glory to judge living and dead, of whose kingdom there will be no end. And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and life giver, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son is together worshipped 
and together glorified, who spoke through the prophets in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We confess one baptism to the remission of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Imagine if you were in this council that tried to put this together. And notice that there aren't any breaks. This is one statement. And by the way, just to point out, this holy Catholic and apostolic church, that word Catholic means what? Universal. All right? It's not the denomination Roman Catholic. It's, that's what it means, literally, is universal. I wanted you to have this in your hand. Just please take this home with you if you would. And uh, if you ever wonder about who God is, read this. Just let it become a part of your spirit. Because everything that is mentioned in this Nicene Creed is important to your faith, to my faith. And if you eliminate any part of it, you're lacking. And that's why these men and women eventually fought so strongly to get this out to the people. Because there was so much dissension in the early church. And there were what we call heresies. People were spreading untruths, myths. They made stuff up. Some said that Jesus, when he died on the cross, it wasn't really Jesus, it wasn't God, it was just an image of God. Yeah, like if we had a hologram kind of thing. That's what they were teaching, that God would never go to the cross. He would, wouldn't need to, and yet all of Scripture says what? The only way... For there to be forgiveness is with blood. It had to happen. I just read this, and, and it's part of where I'll start next week. When you think about Adam and Eve and original sin, what was it that God said, don't eat of it? The tree of what? The knowledge of good and evil. What I wanted to point out is it was a tree that caused them to stumble. How did God redeem us? It was a tree where he hung Jesus, his son, to become the ultimate sacrifice for all of humanity. When you understand Scripture, it begins to make so much sense. It all starts to come together. Whether it's talking about the Trinity or original sin or a tree, God used it all to accomplish His good purpose. And what is that? Let me go back. I've just read it. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. That life of the world to come, we don't know a lot about that yet. We're going to see things in heaven and just it's going to blow our minds. It won't be like this kind of mind. It'll be an infinite mind because we'll be in our new glorified bodies. But when we see what God has in store for those who love him, 
who are victorious on this side of heaven, we're going to be amazed. I'm going to pick on somebody here. Somebody here has his home on Lake Huron, and we had the privilege of going up there recently and, and uh, seeing their home. And when you look out, because the whole front that faces north is all glass, and it looks over the straits, uh, Lake Huron, and you can actually see the bridge. It's tiny. It's about this big from their house. Maybe that big. I don't know. It's, it's small. And I was thinking about how beautiful it was, and then I was worried about you guys last night thinking, man, if, if the storm starts coming from the north and those waves are rocking against your place, it'd be scary. But you're like, thumbs up, man. Yeah, that's awesome. And then it hit me. As cool as it is on this earth, we ain't seen nothing yet. As beautiful as their view is out their front window, when we get to heaven and we look out our front window, if we have windows, we're just going to be like, oh. it's coming. Are you ready? Are you ready for that? Oh, I've got so much more to share, but let's get through this. The Nicene Creed formed in 381 helped bring stability to the church. But let me just say the Trinity's doctrinal fight is still going on today. There are still some who argue this point. You might have run into them. They're known as the one, oneness movement or Jesus only. Um, and I wish we could come into agreement with this. But anyway, that's how it is. People who hold to this belief can test the Trinity and they make contradictory confessions of faith as it relates to the three persons of God. What do we do with this? What are, what are our modern applications? When it comes to the Trinity of God, the bottom line is this. Were it not for the Trinity, worldly living would be the best that a man could do. How many are glad that we have God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? How many are glad that we don't have to settle for a worldly living? Say it like you mean it. As Jesus made clear in John 14, the Master would provide a way for his disciples to, excess, to successfully achieve kingdom goals, including, and this is important, living holy lives. You guys sang that song, Holy, Holy, Holy. I want to sing that again when we wrap this up this morning. But it's just a reminder of who God is. The Trinity is holy. We read this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Hallelujah. For God is holy. Amen? Amen? For God is holy. And you must be holy. God is holy. And you must be holy. Say that with me. 
God is holy, and I, make it personal, and I must be holy. How many are doing that well? I can't wait to get into next week, but for right now, for right now, just understand this. We have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We have God, the Holy Trinity, who is fighting for us, praying for us, giving us direction. And the more you plug in, the more you understand what He's doing with your, with your life, what He wants to do with you. You're a part of His plan. Earlier I talked about the tree. You're a part of that tree process. His church, He left behind, and He said this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show it again here in a minute. Ah, too many. Wow, I was way up there. One more. There we go. He said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. What? Baptizing, Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now, again, don't miss that part. Make disciples. Who makes them? The church. That's our responsibility. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, now, don't do anything yet. Go into the city and wait. Wait for what? Wait for the power of the Trinity, of the Holy Spirit. And then you'll be my witnesses. What does it mean to be a witness? To be able to say to somebody, this is what God did. I saw it in my own life. Nobody can rob that from you. If you're born again, nobody can rob that from you. God did the miraculous. He saved you from a life that you would have been separated from Him. I don't want to get into too much about next week, but this struck me. I've had this wrong. Why did God put the cherubim at the entrance to the garden? And I've always said this, that it was so they wouldn't go on living forever in their sin, which is accurate, but the real reason was God's mercy because if they had remained in sin, they would have been separated from God forever. And he didn't want them being able to sneak back in and eat from that tree of life with sin in their life. It was mercy, not judgment. And what I just described is what hell is like. To be separated from God forever. And God showed mercy. And he continues to do that with us today. He shows us mercy. Hallelujah. Would you take me back? Is he still in there? John uh, 14, 26. Just a few slides. Thank you. Read this with me. But when the Father sends the Advocate, 
as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and you will, will remind you of everything I've told you. That's still true today. When you, when you eat this, and I don't mean, I just heard this, some people, guy was preaching from the Bible, and some guy came up and started ripping the pages out and eating it. Whatever. He was doing it to represent the other guy. He wasn't doing it because he was holy or eating the word. He was just trying to be malicious. This is my point, though. Spiritually speaking, we need to consume these words. We're going to get into this a whole lot more next week and the week after and the week after. We must be Bereans. We must be students of the Bible because this is our arsenal. This represents our warfare. Everything in this book is good and is yes and amen in Christ. If God said it to his church, then it is for us today and tomorrow. That's the good news. And what's the Holy Spirit do? He reminds us of what we've studied. And I prayed this when I was in school as we took our exams. Lord, help me to remember all the things that I've studied and even the things I didn't. You know, that prayer never really worked, but... Anyway. This helper is so much more than a sidekick who will be there when God's people need him. As Frank D. Machia suggests, the breath, through, the breath of God through Pentecost. I love this inhales the people of God into God's holy presence and exhales them outward into all the world to proclaim the good news and to continue Jesus' ministry of deliverance for the sick and the oppressed. Ah, oh, Can you picture yourself being inhaled by the breath of God and then exhaled out over the world to do the bidding of God, to be ambassadors for Christ. That's powerful. The Holy Spirit is a breath of fresh air for the soul that is dry and thirsty. How many can say amen? amen. Not unlike the first couple in the garden whom God poured his breath into, the earnest believer can be impregnated with the same breath of life through God, the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus insisted that his disciples wait for this baptism in the Spirit, one can affirm from this that Jesus felt a man was not complete without a proper relationship with the Godhead, the three in one. People can go through this life without a relationship with the Trinity, but they will lack in all areas without the same. As I begin to wrap this up, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each form the adorable Godhead. Can I have the whole team come back up? Neither is subordinate to the others. 
They are each cooperative and essential in making the fullness of God and His mission a reality. And I believe that this is what God wants with His people. He wants us to be cooperative with each other. To be in fellowship. God, you and me. And when we put this thing together, it's like, it's like a nucleus of... I, all I can think of is, is the... I hope I'm not saying this wrong. The Star Wars ship. Not Star Wars. Star Trek. The Star Trek ship. In that super collider thing they had in the middle that made it go. When we all come together, the power that is harnessed from that, from that unity and that love that God sends down, it can't be overcome by anything. We will be victorious, church. When we come into this cooperative fellowship in unity with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God's looking for a church that welcomes all three as one. And then we work together in harmony. And you know what he does? He blesses that. That's when you get that exponential number up there. You know, 10 to the second, 10 to the 115, etc. The Assemblies of God has this on their website that I shared earlier, ag.org. We therefore may speak with propriety of the Lord our God who is one Lord as a trinity or as one being of three persons and still be absolutely scriptural. Can I get an amen? The adorable Godhead, as the Trinity has been called, is here to carry out the mission of heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth, on earth as, it is in heaven. as it is in heaven. That is our mission, to achieve God's purpose. His kingdom come, his will be done. That mission, however, is not going to be complete until we experience the perusia, the soon coming of our Lord. Jesus is going to return for his bride, the church, capital C. Again, quoting Machia, he said this, and, and this is, just bear with me. We may thus say that the kingdom is now, but also not yet. The kingdom is now, but also not yet. And Again, remember, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. God doesn't change. Time doesn't hold him. But what he's given the church to do, yes, it's for now, but it's also future tense because... That kingdom of God is only going to grow when his church does what they're supposed to do. Which is to what? Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey the commands that Jesus gave them. 
And when we do that, we're working in the now, but we're also working future tense. And I've said this before, there's only one thing you're going to take with you to heaven besides yourself. What is that? Souls. People that you have ministered to, people that you have planted seed into, helping them to understand these, these deeper things of God because he's already done it in you and you're just sharing your witness. You're just going out there saying, hey, look at what God's done in me. How good are you at that? Anybody? And we're all real quiet. It's like, whoa. Well, you're in good company. Right? We could do this better, though. Yes. I think that's the challenge that I'm, I'm feeling right now. Is God's just saying, look, church, I want to do so much more with you. Again, going back to what Julie said with the, the prophecy, the prophetic utterance. Simply this, he's already given it to us. We have everything we need to be victorious. Amen. Let's start using it. Amen. Can I get a good amen? amen. <clears throat> we live in the now, but for the purpose of the not yet. The relationship we establish and nurture now with God the Father, Jesus the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has both present and future consequences. We are all God's ambassadors in Christ. And it was and is his intention that you and I carry out this mission that he's given us. Reach the lost. Lead them into right relationship with their king. I'm going to end. God is holy. Yes. Therefore, we must be holy. And this is not something that you can achieve in the flesh. You can't be holy. But you can go to the, the one, the son, who laid his life out for you yes. and for me. You can go to him and say, Jesus, forgive me. For I have sinned. Jesus, make me whole. Maybe there's something in your life that you need deliverance from. Go to the Master. Holy Spirit, deliver me. Go to the Father. You can go to either one of the three. Any one of the three. They are all co-equal. Don't be intimidated by this. And I'm going to admit that I've struggled with this in the past. Who do I pray to? Well, you pray to the Father in Jesus' name. You can. Can you also pray to the Holy Spirit? Yes. Why not? He is God. He's the one Jesus sent after he ascended to heaven. He is our counselor, our advisor. He is the one that empowers us to do good works. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.
we forget that. When you find yourself locked up in some kind of situation and there's no way out, what do you do? Look up. God, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, help. Help, I need you. Would you stand with me? This song that we sang earlier, just is, it's just so representative of who God is. I want to sing this and then I'm going to come back and, and, and I'll finish up. So.
just a glimpse. Imagine tens of millions of people and angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. It's coming soon. But you've got to get ready. You have to prepare yourself. Adam and Eve would not be in heaven were it not for Jesus. And some believe that Jesus went back and he spoke to them. And he shared what he did on the cross. And I believe that Jesus, what he did 2,000 years ago, he had your picture and my picture in his mind emblazoned on his heart. He saw past. He saw future. He is God. He knows all things. And he saw us lifting up an anthem of praise. And I just have got to believe that when he thinks about that moment, future tense coming, that it's got to just tickle him somehow. However God gets tickled. I don't want to try to speak for him, but you got to be ready. If you've got sin in your life, you got to lay it down. Lay it at the foot of the cross and leave it there. Don't go back and pick it up again. Leave it there under the blood once and for all. For whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Boy, we've got that one down. So pray this with me. And if this is you, make this your confession today. Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I come to you in Jesus' name. As a result of your Holy Spirit. As a result of your Holy Spirit. Forgive me. If I have sinned against you. Against heaven. Against earthly beings. I ask forgiveness. Lord, help me. If there's someone I'm holding something against. Help me to forgive them just like you are forgiving me right now. Lord, I confess my sin and I pray that you would make me a new person in Christ. I believe, as scriptures say, the old man is dead. The old sinful man is dead. And the new man is rising up. Born again, full of life, full of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I dedicate my life to you today, Lord. Now help me to live for you all the days I have left. And we all pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Take what God's imparted into you today and use it for the good. Let your light shine amongst all men that they may be drawn to God. Bless you. I hope you have a great week in Jesus. Thanks for coming today. And just remember, God loves you. And you have the victory. You already got it. It may not be visible yet, but you got it. All right? Believe that. Trust God. And have a great week in Jesus.